Welcome to another great episode of Black Equity. Before we get into our conversation with Samari about uh, economics and what's currently going on in the economic system, I want to take this time to look at something that is currently happening as I am recording this. Uh, It appears that uh, there's been a lot of money exchanging hands, and I wanted to talk about something that uh, is kind of on my mind here. Uh, It's been reported that two HBCUs have received their largest um, donations in school history. And also uh, recently, uh, earlier today, there was also a huge donation to to Tuskegee University. And I'm not against uh, money going to HBCUs. I'm not not against uh, the advancement of our students. But I will say this. I feel like every single time uh, something happens in our community and our culture, they throw money at HBCUs, and we never really know where that money goes or how it's going to be dispersed. And I, I think, I think the jig is up. Now I know this is not a popular opinion. I know many people will not agree with me, but they're always throwing money at schools. They're always throwing money at HBCUs, and. How does that relate to advancing advancing our community? Here's why I say that. Many of these schools uh, are uh, teaching us how to be employees. It's not just HBCUs. It's schools in general are teaching us how to be good employees. They aren't necessarily teaching us how to have black equity, how to own things. Now, I am a product of an HBCU. So I come from a perspective where I've seen uh, what can happen when you go to an HBCU and there's not necessarily any guidance. And really any school out there, people are graduating every single day and they're finding that they really have to continue doing their own self-education in order to be successful. School itself is not going to be the thing that's going to necessarily uh, elevate you to another level. It's great to have. It's great to be a college graduate. But there are other factors that are going to be at place in order to reach that generational wealth. And school may not be the thing unless you're a doctor or a lawyer or something like that. So when we start seeing $20 million thrown around here, $30 million thrown around there, um, all these multi-million dollar um, uh, donations being thrown at HBCUs and schools in general, although we applaud them and they are great, I don't think they actually solve any true problems. But hey, I'm just one person and I'm looking at this situation and just wanted to give my take. So... Anyway, let's get back to our conversation at hand with Samari. We're going to have a great conversation about economics. Uh, We really touched on a lot of great topics uh, throughout this conversation. So sit back and enjoy. And if you want to connect with our guest today, email us at blackequitynetwork at gmail.com. And we look forward to speaking with you to make that proper introduction. I'm DJ Moultrie of Black Equity Network. And welcome to the Black Equity Podcast. 
All right. Uh, welcome back to another great episode of Black Equity Podcast. This has been a conversation that I've been wanting for quite some time, uh, where we can dive into uh, kind of a bigger look at what's happening with the economy and uh, kind of tackle some of the bigger issues that people may or may not uh, know about. Uh, on the line, I have Samari with us here on Black Equity. Welcome. Hi, everyone, and thank you so much, DJ, for having me here. Definitely. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your, your company. Okay, my name is Samari Ijezi, um, and I am the founder and CEO of The Female Economist. The Female Economist was created to negate the gender stigma of, um, of male domination in finance and, and economics. Um, so that's why it's titled The Female Economist. But pretty much we just teach financial literacy. Um, we teach ways how to accumulate wealth um, through different mediums. We have articles and then we also are coming out with um, e-learning, so like courses. And then there is going to be a, a matching platform that matches individuals with certified financial advisors. So one thing nice. that I definitely wanted to implement just from my own personal experiences um, I always wanted to find financial advisors who I could actually have that just one-on-one -on -one connection with and be like, hey, this is my goals. But then when you try to do it at this like high level and you, you reach out to these companies like JP Morgan, there is a, an account minimum. So um, I'm creating a system where it allows you to, it appears individuals with certified, certified financial advisors um, and it, you're just going to really create that that bond and feel like you have someone that understands your financial needs. Um, so yeah, you guys should check it out. It's thefemaleeconomist.com. Um, there are articles up on our platform right now. Courses are launching soon. And just yeah, check it out. Well, that's how I came across uh, came across your energy, your frequency. Because I bumped into your website, or actually it was through IG first, then your website. And I said, oh, this is some dope content. Uh, so thank you for the work that you are doing, uh, educating us and giving us the highest level of intel when it comes to the world of economics. Yeah. Now, you mentioned something that I can't just let, you know, slip by. Yeah. So part of your mission is to... Uh, tackle this uh, male domination in the finance space. Yeah. Did, did, did I hear that correctly? You sure did. Okay. So before we kind of get into some of the topics that, um, that face the economy today, I think this is, you know, one of the biggest ones, right? Yeah. So what did you see, if you don't mind sharing, what yeah. did you see in the finance space that made you feel that it was male dominated uh, and how do you hope to balance that out? Yeah, so from being from personal experience, I've been working in finance since I graduated college. And I've just always noticed that it was either just either another woman or just me as a black woman. So um, I every space that I was into, um, I worked in government, I worked at Spotify, I worked in um, education, I worked in media. So I worked in different aspects of finance and accounting. And I've always realized that it was just heavily dominated by males. And then growing in that space, I always wanted to seek financial information. And I would be like, damn, like there are no women that I can reach out to. There are, there are ones that I found through LinkedIn and other platforms, but in my space itself, 
there wasn't many other women and certified financial advisors where I could go seek out information to. So I really wanted to create the platform um, where, or an environment where women can feel more empowered when they speak about finance, um, women can understand it more. So our target audience is women, just because I feel like um, there's so many mothers and there's um, the youth that just, the women youth that usually don't understand it. And I feel like when you do talk about finance and economics and stuff like that, um, men seem to understand it because of gender norms. You know, in our past, gender norms, the, like in economics, if you go back to like um, where the word derived from, it's like household management. And, you know, in gender roles, men would always like, work with the finances. I mean, women would do household, you know, tasks and stuff, but when it came down to money, it would always be um, managed by a man. So I created this because I am able to manage my finances and I want other women to feel empowered when they go to manage their own. So um, a lot of women and a lot of men as well, they do lack financial literacy. Um, so that's where we're starting right here. We're going to start changing that gender norm um, and teach women. But, you know, our information is for everyone. Um, but we are. Well, I'm, a sub I'm a subscriber. So I know definitely I, I didn't feel <laughs> I didn't feel uh, left out. Yes. Of the conversation. Yeah, I, I don't want men to feel left out because we do have men that are um, reading our articles because it everyone in the company right now is a woman. So how I am trying to change the space and make it more inclusive is by hiring women, giving factual information produced by women. Um, however, it is for everybody. Everyone needs financial literacy and needs to understand it. Um, however, I just noticed from personal experience that women, they, they normally leave it to the men. And I want to change that. I want it to be where women feel empowered when they and they speak on finance um, and also just are able to understand it first and foremost. Definitely. And I know our listeners, uh, as they uh, are listening to this episode and as they get to know you uh, better, they're going to see the value that you're bringing and they'll add you as part of their daily uh, subscription, as their, their, their daily uh, resource uh, to be able to get that information. That's really the goal. The yeah. Goal of you know having this podcast is to be able to shine a light where maybe people are not necessarily paying the attention that they should. Yeah. Um, so we, we talk about everyday matters. So whether it's real estate, whether it's credit score, whether it's um, investing, um, retirement, we talk about it all because it all just encompasses economics and finance. So, um, yeah, I hope you guys tune in and also just check us out on all social media platforms. Like I said, there's a lot in store, a lot to come, but there's ways that we can help everyone. Definitely, definitely. Uh, so we have this opportunity here on Black Equity to speak with an economist, speak with the female economist mm -hmm. for our first episode. Um, and hopefully we'll have many more together because I, I really see this as an opportunity to keep checking back in to see, well, what is the current pulse of, you know, of our community, of our culture, and really the economy in whole. Absolutely. Uh, what is standing out to you right now as, as we're recording this today? 
what are some of the bigger issues in the economy that you are noticing that maybe other people aren't speaking on? Um, there are so many issues that I notice. Um, but one, I think that I'm really happy to be seeing, thinking in a positive way, I'm going to kind of change your, I'm going to answer this differently. I'm seeing sure. that a lot of people are, are wanting ownership and are wanting um, to, to have be entrepreneurs and have their own business. So I'm seeing that a lot. I don't know if it's my network of like people who are like, are starting to get it, but I am seeing a lot of people who are like, okay, can you give me advice on how to set up an LLC or should I do an S corp? So I am seeing people that are, are trying to, and I, and when I say people, I mean, black people, mm -hmm. I'm seeing black people that are, that are interested in ownership and they're, they're wanting to get into real estate, but they just don't know the principles and the steps or the guidelines, how to do so. But I'm seeing a ton of people being like, I want to become an entrepreneur. I want to have a beauty business. I want this, I want real estate. So black people, we, we want this. Mm -hmm. It's just that we don't know the tools and resources, how to obtain it. And that's what I am here to teach. Okay. I'm going to approach this conversation as a newbie who knows nothing. And so some of the questions I ask may seem a little off-putting, mm -hmm. but I really want to get to the root of, of this subject. Yeah. Why is ownership in the Black community important? Wow. Ownership in the Black community is important because once we start owning things, and also buying from each other, we are creating wealth for ourselves, but then we're also enhancing our next generations. So black business has kind of just became a thing. Um, I'm 25 years old, so I really can't speak on previous generations, but from what I'm seeing right now, from what I was raised into in the 90s, there's so many black businesses out there. Um, and it's important that we support each other and you know, buy from our, our services and our products, buy from our people who look like us so we can, we can have better generations for the, the next that are, that are approaching, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, and I think that, yeah, if that answers your question, that would be my answer. No, it definitely does. So you say we should be buying from each other. So then now it's reminding me of, I was a newbie on, a, on the first question. Now I'm going to get a little bit more advanced. Okay. Uh, that reminds me of the circulation of the black dollar. Mm, absolutely. Right. And so when you're saying let's buy from each other, let's kind of, let's take that walk together. Okay. So I start a business. Mm -hmm. I am a black man and you start a business as a black woman and you offer services but instead of going to you, I go to a white woman that does the exact same thing that you do. And I take the dollars that I've been earning from my community and I place it in her hands when I could have gotten the same amount of information, the same quality service from you. And so now that dollar has now left our community uh, within, they, they say the black dollar leaves within six hours. Mm. So I, I, have the, I had that, those dollars. I gave it to this white woman who owns her business, nothing against her. Uh, but it could have went into your hands. We could have kept the dollar circulating a lot longer, especially mm -hmm. if the money then goes into someone else's hands. Why do you think there's a hesitancy uh, from your experience, just things that you've seen, to keep the dollar circulating amongst us? I think Black people are afraid of the quality 
when we buy from other black people. Mm. Um, and just speaking on previous experience, um, one, to get a little deep into what you explained, we are making, when you go and you use a service from a white person that you could have used the same exact service from a black person, you're making that person more richer and you're, you're creating more wealth for that community. So when you, you go and use our product or service from a black someone, you're making them, they're, you're making their business be fluctuate. You know what I mean? You're making it work. Um, so I think that we re refrain from purchasing products and using black people's services because we, we're afraid of the lack of quality. And I don't know if I'm speaking based on like my own experience. Well, I am, but um, there are times where I've been like, wow, like, I don't know in the past where I've been like, I don't know if I want to like go to this coffee shop. Um, they're really not that reputable. Um, and it's black owned. But now today that I'm so woke, I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm buying from this, this black service or business. Um, but I think it really ties into, we believe like our brothers and sisters don't have the same quality and services as white peers. And it kind of can make sense because they do have the upfront resources that can create their business to be more, um, have better quality or more enhanced. So I do think that um, why we don't purchase from our, our brothers and sisters is because we're afraid of the quality and the outcome of um, buying black. Yeah. Okay, so let's touch on that. Let's touch on quality. Cause I think that's, that's very important because there is, uh, we, we can be honest, right? There is a level of truth to that. Yeah. There's a level of, of, of truth that sometimes a black owned business does not necessarily have the quality in which we're seeking, especially for a high end product or something that we want to last for a long time. It's just Absolutely. It's, it's true. But it's also true that I've been to a white establishment as well and it hasn't had the quality as well. Absolutely. The difference is when it happens at a white establishment or a non-black establishment, the stigma doesn't stick to the race. Mm. It just sticks to that one place. That's true. So if I go to a restaurant that happens to be white owned, it could be one of these chains out here, these uh, restaurants out there, and I have a bad situation at that restaurant, I will blame it on that restaurant. I'll go on Yelp and I'll say that restaurant sucks. That's true. But if I go to a black restaurant, maybe it doesn't have a chain. I will uh, have a bad experience and I'll say, I'm never going to a black restaurant again. No, you're absolutely right. Why do we do that? Why do we like, cause no, you're absolutely right. I feel like there's many times where I've had friends and they'd be like, oh, I went to this African restaurant and I hated it. The service was bad. And they're like, no more African restaurants. And we, we, we group it together, but we're individuals as well. Yes. So why do you think we do that? I think you just touched on it. We don't see ourselves as individuals. Mm. We see, we see that if I listen to one black podcast, I've listened to them all. Mm. If I've listened to one female or black female economist, I've heard them all. Mm. And so they're going to, not everyone, some people are going to lump me in with all the other black podcasts. They're going to lump you in with all the other black female economists. And if, if they had one bad experience, we have to suffer from that, even though they've never met you and I. Mm. Why? I don't know. But hopefully with this awakening and this conversation, we can knock some of that down. Like that, that makes absolutely no sense. It's idiotic. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I think that that does happen a lot too with even white white people as well. They group us as a whole and they're like, oh yeah, this community, but it's like, no, we need to be seen as individuals because we are all are so different. Um, and I think you couldn't have said it better. You're absolutely right. So we touched on quality. We touched on individualism and understanding that each individual uh, company represents itself. Now let's look at the actual dollars that we're, we're talking about here. How does, it, how does an economy work? How, does, how do you look at an economy and understand how it's flourishing or how a particular city is doing or how a particular sector is doing? What factors are you looking at when you're studying the economy? Yeah, there's so many different factors to really look into. I think there's two main ones that you can really um, digest and be able to be like, okay, on a macro view, on a micro view. Um, and when looking at an individual city, um, there's so many aspects that make up an economy, whether it's education, it's government, it's policies. Um, it's, there's so many things that go into an economy on you know, a micro level, not even a macro. So if I'm looking at a city, I'm from Boston, by the way. Okay. Um, I'm in Charlotte. Okay, nice, nice, nice. Um, wasn't that where Kanye just recently was? No, no, hold on now. Don't try to put that. He was in the Carolinas. He was in South Carolina. I'm in North Carolina. Okay, okay. See, I'm already oh, grouping, I'm grouping the Carolinas together. <laughs> You're grouping everything together. <laughs> Yeah, but I think when you do look into um, how do you understand economics, it's, it's really understanding each sector. And in Boston, I come from a, a democratic state. Um, so it's, it's, it's very liberal and there's just so many, it's so, it would be so different from where you come from. We have two different economies. Yeah. Um, they, they may operate very similar. They're completely different um, on, Let's see how many they're on so many different spectrums. So when looking into and understanding economics, I think there are you really need to understand the micro and the macro view of things and then get into the intersections of each. Um, so for, for a newbie, what is a what does macro mean? And what does micro mean? So macro is like the overall picture of an economy. So um, that tends to get into like GDP. Um, understanding like gross, gross um, domestic product. And then if you're looking into like on the micro level of things, you, oh, also in, in macro, you can talk about GDP, inflation. So um, you talk about inflation rates. Um, and then there's a third, oh, markets. So you're always going to be talking about like markets and like how the overall market of that economy is doing. Um, in the macro level, you're going to be talking about employment. So how, um, you know, employment rates are or jobs out there in that specific region of where you're, you're talking about. Um, you can also dive into, um, let's see, there's employment. Um, geez, this is taking me back to college right now. <laughs> this is bringing me back. Um, but there, there are a lot of different aspects um, that you can pretty much differentiate that will make you help you understand economics better. Um, but the main two are looking at it as in a micro and macro way. Awesome. So when I'm looking at my particular city, yeah, um, the the macro 
let's see let's see if we can take this down the right path here Gotcha. Does macro impact micro or does micro impact macro? Ooh, I would say they're definitely interchangeable. Okay. Um, because I think um, a lot of micro issues can impact macro issues and vice versa. So like on a state level, if your governor wants to enact certain policies or leg leg legislations, that can affect your community on a micro level. Um, you know what I mean? So it's, I feel like it's definitely interchangeable, um, when you, when you think about that. Definitely. Okay. So we've talked about black businesses. We talked about, uh, individuality. We talked about macro, micro, where do you think we stand as a community when it comes to understanding economics? How, what would you maybe rate? Uh, so on a scale of one to 10, when it comes to, to black economics? I would say we're at a five. I feel like a lot of people really don't understand how um, our economy works um, and how systems work. And I feel like, and that's why we lack so much because we, we just don't really understand how the cycle of, how, how the cycle of money moves. Um, and I feel like in that case, like, it's taking us this long to be like, okay, we need black owned businesses mm -hmm. kind of simple things. Um, so I would, I would rate us at a five, but I, I feel like a lot of people are at the point where they're, they're slowly getting it. And they're also at the point where like, okay, we need to know more. Um, so yeah, I would give us a five. Okay. So I'm going to touch on that five in a second to understand how we can maybe improve that. But you just talked about something that I think is going to be foundational. Mm -hmm. Many people don't understand the cycles of money. One of the things that I always talk about is do not invest with people because you got people on social media and all over and they're like, hey, come invest with us, come invest with us. Mm -hmm. One of the things I truly believe to my core is do not invest with people who do not understand that there are cycles. Mm -hmm. Because what will end up happening is they'll, uh, they'll bait you into an investment mm -hmm. at the very time that the cycle is about to shift, like at the end of, of, uh, of a cycle, when is everything's about to go down, they're getting you in to something at the peak of the price. Mm. And so they want you to invest in this real estate deal or invest in this company or invest in whatever uh, the uh, investment is. But little do you know is a month later that the value of the thing that you're investing in is about to fall. How can people better understand cycles? How, how can we learn more about uh, cycles of money? Um, that's a great question. I actually, we have an article on it on our website. Okay. Um, so it, it, it teaches you how, how, how money is like produced. So how the government, um, you know, spits out money out into the economy. Mm -hmm. um, but how can we better understand cycles? Speaking on a, on a personal level, I better, I was able to better understand the cycle of money by understanding stocks. Mm, um, interesting. Yeah. And I feel like that just allows me to understand because if you're thinking about a company, um, a company, their stock will go up and down a hundred times a day. Right. And that can be based off of so many different factors. Um, and if you just kind of understand in a, in a micro level, 
understand stocks. Okay, we have Apple. Actually, we'll use Netflix. Netflix the other day dropped by like $60, $80. And there's so many people who made so much money off of it um, because they bought in when it was low and they, mm-hmm. they sold it or they, so money moves, <laughs> money moves constantly, but the cycle of money. And if you're thinking on a stock basics, mm-hmm. Netflix went down because they're saying that a lot of people are going outside right now. The economy's opened up when you know, coronavirus first happened or got into like the Americas, um, Netflix went up. The value of Netflix went up because everybody was inside watching Netflix. And that was like, just also like the talk about, people were just speaking about, oh, Netflix, Netflix, Netflix. When the the moment you talk about a company, um, the moment like, let's see, for instance, this is going to bring tie into my people, my audience, but millennials, when mm-hmm. Kylie Jenner tweeted about Snapchat, instantly she made a negative tweet about Snapchat, the value of their, of their stock went down. So if you think about stocks and you think about what affects a, the stock market for money to, for the stock market to rise and fall, you'll really be able to understand money. Um, but money the cycle of money really starts from the government. I mean, they, they create the dollar and then it goes into the markets and then it gets into goods and services and goes back into like household products. So there really is like a cycle of, um, or yeah, a cycle of how money is made, how money um, flows um, and how money even gets back to consumers like us. Um, but on a deeper level and to really understand like, yeah, how money moves. Really think about stocks. Like I can, personally, I don't have the effect to like make a stock. I mean, actually I do. So say I go to buy, say I want to go buy, um, everyone has the power to make stocks fluctuate. Mm -hmm. So um, if you think about, oh, a new company is coming out or something or whatever, and a lot of people are buying into one stock, it's going to rise. Mm-hmm. So maybe at 10 a.m. when 50 people wanted the stock, it was $3. But now at 12 p.m., 90 people want the stock. It's going to go up. So if you think about how money moves like that, if you think about how money moves on a governmental level um, and then go into like how, to, how it moves on a stock or company level, um, you can really understand stocks and how, how money moves around America. Okay. So now we're, we've talked about how money moves. Yeah. How do we get the money moving in the black community to take that five to an eight, nine, 10? How do we get to a, a 10? What would that environment have to be? Let's paint that picture of a 10 economy within the black community. Like I said before, it's having black owned businesses and buying from our brothers and sisters. Um, that's how I believe we can get money moving around our economy. Like Diddy, he created a company called Revolt TV. Mm-hmm. Um, and as we all know, Nick Cannon was just fired from Viacom. If he we was. have more systems where it's like, okay, this is a black owned company and we use those resources, money's just going to keep cycling. You know what I mean? There's so much, the black dollar, there's so much money in the black mm-hmm. dollar. Um, and I feel like we use it on CVS we use it on these just these white companies 
Um, mm-hmm. and I don't want to sound like too radical, but it's really just buying black. I like radical, so I'm not sure how anybody else feels, but this is music to my ears, but you now mentioned Nick Cannon. So you've allowed me to have this on the table. Okay. So here was, here's my take from the Nick Cannon situation. I'm all for, you know, speaking your piece and saying how you feel, but why didn't you not own Wildin' Out? While, I mean, we're talking about ownership, right? If you're saying that Wildin' Out is a billion dollar brand, why didn't you own the trademark? Yeah. Why didn't you, why didn't you have that ownership? And, you know, it's not us to, you know, look at his contract and anything like that. I'm just wondering if you knew something was that valuable, and you knew that at the end of this thing, you would say, I want my stuff back. That's, that's almost coming from a place of weakness yeah. than a place of strength. I wouldn't say it's weakness. I okay. feel like Tell it's, me more. it's a place of um, kind of ignorance. We don't know. Mm. We don't know to own these things. I feel like in the past decade, I feel like that's when people have been really like, okay, I want equity or okay. I, you know what I mean? But I feel like, people get these opportunities to get on these platforms just the other day Migos is suing their their um management their management because of legal legal fees and they feel like they're not getting enough out of the deal we don't know these things and my favorite quote is if you're not woke you'll always be broke if you are if you aren't knowledgeable and you don't know how will you ever make money from it Nick Cannon, he created a billion dollar. While and Out is a huge platform. A lot of people tuned in. He had so many guests. How didn't he not own it? Rihanna. Rihanna does not own Fenty. She's the face of the brand. Come on. Like, we just, now I feel like a lot of people are starting to understand, like, okay, I want equity. I want to own this. Um, or I want to trademark it, whatever. And it's like, okay, look how long it's, it's, it, t- it took us to understand that. And I don't know. I just feel like I think it's it's really buying black and it's starting our own businesses. You know what I mean? You yeah. said something that w- that wakes me up a little bit. You yeah. said it wasn't from necessarily from a place of weakness. It's a place of ignorance. So, okay, I'll buy that. I'll I'll accept that as true because Nick Cannon has been doing wilding out for 10, 15 years. So if we go 15 years back, if if 2020, so we're at we're in like 2004, 2005, yeah. and so you're right. The real renaissance of black wealth wasn't really until about five years ago, maybe 10. Yeah. So I'll buy that. I'll buy that when these opportunities were being put on the table back then. Why we didn't know makes no sense. I really have no idea how we did not know, but we were ignorant. We were allowing, you know, to just take cash instead of equity. Um, In your estimation, what is that difference between having equity and just getting, you know, just getting paid uh, money for? Yeah, having equity is for the long run and having the cash is a short term, a short term opportunity. So they probably presented him with a few millions. And at the time he was like, I need to get my hands on this. But then now looking at it, he's like, wow, like that could have been something that's been constantly, the, the show's canceled now, but that's something that he could have always like, you know, been profiting off of if he had equity. And I don't know the legal agreement. Maybe he does have some type of, you know, shares um, in Wild and Out, but you know, 
it's 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 sad it's really sad because you see like leaders of our communities still not having equity and i think beyonce and jay-z are really like two prominent figures who always like preach on this and they're always like equity 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 and i think it's it's super important and i feel like a lot of people need to know that even if you're presented with a large amount of cash or liquid um, up front, you always need to think about um, inflation rates and you need to think about the the dollar. How much is this going to mean in 20 years? The mm -hmm. value of it. So equity, you can never go wrong with equity. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's, it's a long-term thing. <laughs> you know, I always get I don't meet many people who start talking in, in 20 year increments, right? And so you're saying, you know, hey, you know, what is the value of this in 20 years? Some people are not thinking 20 minutes. Mm. And so the fact that, you know, you and I are on this, on this, on this podcast episode and we're talking 20 years from now, because if you look back 2000, 2005 or whenever Wild and Out began, you're looking 15, 20 years out and now look, look what it is. Yeah. And so, that's the lesson here. The lesson here is what is happening in 2020 that in 20, I guess we're looking at 2040. Yeah. You know, what is the value going to be of that particular uh, company, that particular investment, that particular thing that you are acquiring yeah. uh, to your portfolio? And I think a lot of people need to change their mindset to start thinking like that. What is this going to mean to me in 20 years from now? whatever you're investing whatever like you're thinking about that can you know bring you mon bring you monetary gains mm -hmm. think about it in the future think about how how will this affect me 20 years 10 years from now um will i still be getting income from it um you know what i mean i feel like and that's the way that's how i live by um a lot of things that i set up for myself have been for the future not now some of the things that i don't even benefit off of now but i don't care about now now i'm, I'm still a working individual later is when i want to sit back and be like wow if i if i didn't do this 20 years ago i wouldn't have you know what i mean have mm -hmm. this amount of money so i think people really need to change their mindset to start thinking about long-term gains who cares about okay 50k right now what is 50k in 20 years that's like five, that's like $500. That's nothing. Right, right. So a lot of people need to like shift the way they, they, they think to be thinking on a long-term basis. And that's just how I live my life by a lot of people present me opportunities that sound beneficial now, but I'm like, mm, in the long run, I, I don't want to be, I don't want my name associated to this. You know what I mean? I don't want I don't mean. to see this. So. Okay, so I'm gonna throw something back on the table, and you, you can agree or disagree. Yeah. Um, I think the greatest investment, if we're talking 20 years or longer, is relationships. Hmm. Okay. It's, it's uh, the connections, right? Let's say Black Equity and the female economists. We decide to partner and we decide to work together. That relationship within itself not even necessarily the money that comes from it or anything like that we could never even actually do a project we could just make sure that we're aligned and helping each other which i plan on doing with you it, you know let's let's you, you 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 do you i do me but let's put value in each other's uh hands absolutely 
relationships to me is what's going to really matter because if you have the right relationships, you'll never find yourself in a situation where, you know, if you say the wrong thing about this particular group of people, then we're letting you go. Mm-hmm. I think the biggest thing of the Nick Cannon situation is he had a relationship with a company that didn't necessarily have that great of a relationship with him. Mm. I can I can relate to that, but I think I'm going to, I can, I a hundred percent relate to that, but I, I'm, thinking a little deeper. And I think the best investment is yourself. Mm. And once you invest in yourself and your true purpose, you can never go wrong. I feel like Nick Cannon in this um, predicament didn't really invest in himself. He knows that from growing up, he's a comedian. Everything that he should have been doing, he's an entertainer, he's a comedian, should have been, which he was, but should have been on his own platform. Yeah. And now he'd been truly investing in himself. Yeah, he, he needed Viacom to kind of get his message across, get his, um, his wit, his humor across. But if he took that, that initial investment and been like, I want to create a platform that is going to allow other comedians and allow other thing, people to get on stage and talk, um, he wouldn't be in the situation he was at now. You know, he could have been much bigger than himself. And I feel like a lot of people need to think about putting put yourself first but always remember that when you are here to serve so in nick cannon's situation he's an entertainer he's a comedian however he created a platform that he has other entertainers speaking on and creating jokes right but if he created that platform from himself by his own his own his own deal it's nick cannon's show he i would feel like he would be living in his full purpose because not only is he an entertainer he created a platform to put other entertainers on you know what i mean and that is black wealth that is something that you can't you can't ever take away that to me that's him living in his full purpose you know what i mean and that's investing in himself he's an entertainer and he created a platform for other entertainers to speak on and he owns 100% of it. That's it. Honestly, look at Kylie. Kylie invested in herself. She took one of her, her negatives and insecurity about her lips mm-hmm. and made it um, almost a, a billion dollar brand. And it was something that was, she was like, okay, I hate my lips, but my purpose in life is bigger than myself. So I'm going to create a lip kit for other people that have the same insecurities and um, you know insecurities as I do and look what she did so i think people need to invest in themselves and always believe that you are here to serve so you need to put yourself before other people but still put your your dreams and goals in the forefront it's it's so it's so complex i feel like it might not make that much sense but that's just like how i live no no it makes perfect sense it's very simple and i think i think your counterpoint is strong you know, mm-hmm. invest in yourself. I think you should invest in yourself, but your mission should be to serve others. Yeah. And, and from others, you have that relational equity that I was going towards. I think they, yeah. they go hand in hand because you can invest in yourself and have no other relationships and then you just buy yourself. Yeah. And that's why I'm saying that you need to know that you're here to serve because mm-hmm. a lot of people, they're investing in their self and, they're, and they always are like, it's just me. It's about me. It's about me. It's about me. It's not about you. You were put on this world to serve and for a greater purpose beyond just yourself so whatever you're good at whatever your talented or whatever your talents are you can pursue them but just remember that you are here for a greater purpose than just yourself 
So I think once you realize that, like money is going to just be flowing. <laughs> I like money flowing. I, I really do enjoy money flowing. It, something's coming in, in my spirit that I have to ask you. Yeah. How did you get so passionate about wealth and economics and finance? Where does that passion come from? I always tell the people this story and I was in the second grade and I grew up in a affluent town. Um, it's called Newton, Massachusetts. Very rich, medium household is 80, like $800,000. Um, there's nothing but doctors. So growing up, I lived in an affluent town, but I lived in low income housing. So I just, and I went to a really good school system. Um, so I just remember my first situation really understanding economics was in the second grade. And I went on a play date with this young little girl and she had a maid. She had three stories in her house. She had like three cars in the driveway. And I just remember coming home and being like, mom, like, why does she live with all this abundance? And like, we barely have dinner on the table. And my mom just be, being like, look, she's white, you're black. And this is the cycle of poverty. And ever since then, I was just like so into books. I was so into, this is not me. This is not my future. And I was so into kind of creating a new world for myself um, that kind of was similar to like the one percenters. I stopped doing everything that other black people did. And I started doing things kind of like white people. And I started, not that I was living a life, a, a lie I mean, but I started living in my own way where I was like, I don't want to do what the normal people are doing anymore. I want to do things that people aren't doing because this is how, these are how the people are winning. If I keep following all these same people, I'm going to be stuck in the same environment. So, um, and I always tell people that story because that's like the first time I really understand, understood um, racial inequality and class. And um, from there, it really just translated into my whole future. And I, I love money. I've been working in finance ever since. So, <laughs> so Samari, so let, let's get into something you mentioned. You mentioned uh, you start reading books. What books would you recommend to someone who's picking up this episode? They're falling in love with your company, your vision, your personality. What books would you recommend to someone who's just getting into the game? Yeah. It's a great question. There's so many good books um, that I'd recommend, but on like someone that's just trying to understand the premise, I would read um, The Giver. I like that book. I like that book. <laughs> and it's like short. Now, you did not know that I like that book. You said what? What did you say? I said I said you 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 had no clue that I really loved that book, but you mentioned yeah. that book. Yeah, I think it, it's short and sweet, like to say the least. It's short and sweet and it it, it, it explains a lot. Um, but also if someone's trying to get into finance, um, what's a good book that I read or read? Um, let me pull out, let's see what I got. I have so much. Actually, this is what I'm reading right now. And it's a book on ec economics. It's called Choice Theory. Okay, I've heard of it. And this book is really great because it under, it allows you to understand, um, and this ties back into economics, actually, but it, it on the book, it says a new psychology of personal freedom. Mm. So there are so a lot of nuances with economics and choice and like the neoclassical um, theory is that people have choices. And this ties back into how I said growing up, 
how I always wanted to be like, I'm choosing to live this better life. And I was dealt with these resources, but I'm going to make the best alternative decision with what I have. A lot of people don't realize that they have choice in a lot of things that they're just like, oh yeah, I had, I had no, I hadn't like, a lot of people make a lot of excuses, but I feel like people don't understand that you're given choices in life and you need to figure out the best strategic way on how to use those options that are given to you. And this is a great book that allows you to understand that like you can take your life in any direction that you want. Love so. it. I love it. I, I, I'm, I am biased. So I'm going to go back to the giver for a second. Okay. Let's what was it? What was it about the giver? Cause that's, to me, I'm going to name a couple other ones, but uh, that's in my top five, maybe top 10. It kind of fluctuates. That's in my tops. So what was it about the giver that stood out to you? Um, my mentor told me to read it. Mm-hmm. But something that stood out to me is that the guy in it wanted quick gains and like wanted like it seemed like he wanted everything just to be like instantly. And he didn't understand that there's a process for everything. Mm. And, you know, things take time and you have to, you have to serve before getting. And I feel like a lot of people, you know, always expect to get, 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 get now. And life is not like that. You know what I mean? I do. And I'm very spiritual. So. I can tell, I can tell. I think what, what stood out to me with, with the giver was, uh, put it's it's similar to what you're saying. It's putting value into the universe and allowing that value to become your equity. So you, you you're you're continuing to always put value out, no matter what, no matter if it's paying you back. And what you what you're putting into, you may not necessarily get it back from that. But because there's so much value leaving you, value has to come back. Yep. But if you're like holding back and you're not giving out and it's, it's all about you and it, mm-hmm. then there's no reason for value to come to you because you already have all the value still stored inside of you. And so it, it became, when I was reading the book, I was like, yes, just keep giving. Don't, it don't matter. Just keep giving. And one day you'll, you'll start receiving those emails. You'll start connect with the right people. You'll bump into the female economist and she'll do a great episode on black equity podcast. Those things will just pop into your world. Cause we didn't know each other. If it weren't for the podcast, would we have met each other? Not at all. Not and so at all. You keep giving and then yeah. value shows up. Yeah. And I feel like, I love that you said that um, because I want to touch into that. I feel like a lot of people always feel like um, they want to like hoard their resources and information. Mm-hmm. And I feel like, what's the point when you have information that could be useful for, to anyone, why not like tell people about it? And I feel like that's something, even why I created this platform is because I was working in finance and I was like, wow, I was understanding so much just because I was in the realm. And then I started working at a media company and I was like, wait a minute, like, okay, I understand how news works. And I was like, why didn't I just start a financial news platform? And I feel like because I had all these resources and skills that were working for me, I was like, I want to push this out. I want to tell people about it. I don't want to hoard this information. And it wasn't like, oh, I'm inside trading. It was more so like okay like this is insight you know what i mean and i feel like that's that's the ties back to what i just said invest in yourself but always know that you're here to serve people once you start so my my purpose i feel like is i'm a financial educator 
Um, and I know that I need to teach it to people. So yeah, I really hope that like the people that are watching this today are really like taking a lot out of this and, you know, understanding wealth, understanding black economics and understanding how to like live a, a true life, but also true to your purpose. Um, and that's like three things that I preach. I think one of the biggest things that I'm walking away with is the power of choice. Uh, it's not necessarily coming from a place of weakness, but it's coming from a place of ignorance and that's okay. It's okay yeah. not to know. And I think we have to get to a place where we say, Hey, I, I, I don't know that. And so let me learn. How do I learn how to do that? How do I acquire uh, equity. Why is equity important? And, you know, wanting to be hungry for knowledge is probably the third thing. And that's what your platform has. It has the, the, the tools and knowledge. And like you said, you're building it out to, you know, bring additional resources in. Yeah. Um, once again, how can people uh, get tapped into your frequency and be part of those resources, part of the information that you're sharing? Well, one, I'm just going to put this out there. I'm always looking for mentees um, and I'm always looking to bring other people up while I climb. Um, so definitely just sending me a DM um, and I, I respond back to all my DMs. So my Instagram and sorry, I live my best life and I, I don't preach that much on my personal Instagram because I like to travel. I like to eat good food. But send me a DM at Rari underscore Samari, and that's R-A-R-I underscore S-A-M-A-R-I. Or if you're strictly looking for financial information, go to The Female Economist on Instagram, on Twitter, on Facebook, and thefemaleeconomist.com. Um, and there are so many resources um, but if you're personally wanting to know more about me and how I kind of changed my life around, please send me a DM or just check us out on, on Instagram or on web. Now you mentioned something. I can't let you go until I get this answer. What's been yeah. your favorite place to travel and why? Hong Kong. Okay. Why? Why? Tell me um, more. Hong Kong is like a mini New York. I live in New York now. So when I was in Hong Kong, I, it's so urban. Um, although I definitely stood out because I'm not Asian. Um, it was, I felt like I could possibly live there for a few months. Mm -hmm. Um, it was so advanced. Like if you think like our, our Metro cities in the United States are advanced, like you haven't seen Hong Kong. Mm -hmm. um, and it was just so beautiful. It was, it was, it was a great vacation. What would be number two? Number two would be a place I haven't been yet. So I'm going to Africa this December. Nice. So I'm going to put that hopefully on my number two. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you, Samari, so much for joining us on Black Equity Podcast. Once again, the doors are open for any time you want to come back, continue the conversation on Black wealth, economics overall, and tell us about some of your uh, travel experiences. We'd love to have you back. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you so much, DJ. And I look forward to speaking with you and thank you for inviting me to your platform i had a great time speaking and i hope you guys check out my resources thank you thank you have a good one another great episode here on black equity podcast make sure you sign up and become a premium member of our community so you can get conversations like this 
early, access early, also investment opportunities, job opportunities, uh, opportunities galore. If you want to uh, partner or work with our guest today, make sure you send us an email over at blackequitynetwork at gmail.com and let's put something together. If you want to work with this guest or a guest from an earlier episode, send us a message today. Thank you so much for listening, and we look forward to presenting a new episode in the future.